This afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18. And there we confess uh, the following of, about Christ's ascension into heaven. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures of Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. So far, our confession. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that includes the boys and girls here then too, it sometimes seems from the way we celebrate the birth of Christ that it's a, that, that the, his birth is a lot more important than his ascension. We celebrate his birth this week with worship and family get-togethers and concerts and lights and trees and gifts and so on. That's how it's done in general. Christ's ascension, however, goes by almost unnoticed. No special traditions or family get-togethers or so on, or concerts for his ascension. And sometimes it seems that the Bible makes Christ's ascension less important than his birth too. Christ's bodily ascension into heaven is actually only described by Luke. The actual fact of his ascension is only described by Luke. Briefly in, in his gospel and in more detail in the first chapter of the book of Acts, no angel host singing glory to God in the highest. Only two angels spoke briefly to the disciples as they were looking up into heaven. But don't be fooled by appearances here. Christ's ascension is no less a wondrous occasion than his birth. And we see that in, in Revelation 12 where the two are put right beside each other, his ascension and his birth. The woman brought forth a male child and he was caught up into heaven. In fact, Christ's ascension was the culmination of his work here on earth. And it represented his glorious entry into heaven then. 
Maybe no angel hosts were sang here on earth at that time, but we can be sure there was a lot of angelic activity in heaven when he arrived there, and we'll, look, we'll pay attention to that later on. And maybe there's not much actual description of the ascension of our Lord, but his ascension does play a major role throughout all the writings of the New Testament. The writings of the apostles and the evangelists. You know, again, take the writings of John. We read in the Gospel of John about Jesus' words about his ascension into heaven to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed and arrested. And we read part of the book of Revelation where the Lord Jesus revealed more about his ascension to the Apostle John. And there we see that it's a major step in his work of salvation and congregation. So we shouldn't underestimate the importance of Christ's ascension. We'll pay attention to why that is this afternoon. I proclaim to you the word as we confess it in Lord's Day 18 with this theme, Christ's ascension into heaven, and we see what it meant for him, and secondly, what it means for us, what it meant for him, first of all. A congregation, the big soccer, world soccer tournament is going to be held in Brazil, and Brazil is kind of in the picture nowadays, and you see sometimes picture of Rio de Janeiro, the, the capital city of Rio de Janeiro, and, or it's not the capital city, but it's the main city of Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And you see that there's a, a mountain there overlooking the city with a huge statue of the Lord Jesus Christ on it, arms outstretched. And that statue represents his ascension into heaven. It's impressive. And whatever you think about such a statute, it does convey the importance of Christ's ascension. The disciples watched him go into heaven with his arms outstretched in blessing like that, and it made a deep impression on them. What happened there on the Mount of Olives was of great significance for us also for the Lord Jesus. And that's what we're thinking about here first. It was a wonderful occasion for him, for the Lord Jesus himself. It was, in fact, the answer to his prayer before he was betrayed and arrested that, that evening. He prayed uh, about that. We read the first part of the prayer in John 17, and he prayed there in verses uh, 4 and 5, I've finished the work you have given me to do. He's praying to his Father. And now, Father, he says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, Christ's ascension into heaven took place in answer to that prayer, and he was looking forward to, that, to being in that glory again with his Father as it, he was originally, before he became man, before he was born man. So 40 days after he rose from the dead, he was wonderfully taken up into heaven, physically, bodily, in the presence of his disciples. And that ascension into heaven gives us reason for joy, for it was a glorious thing for our Savior to be with his Father in heaven. There the Father exalted him, as it says in Philippians 2, 
and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that bowing of all creatures and that praising of him began in heaven when he arrived in heaven. Do you know, do you, do you know what exactly what happened in heaven when Jesus ascended there? The Lord Jesus himself made that known to the apostle John when John was banished to the island of Patmos. He had those visions. And we read about, about that in Revelation 12. What happened when he arrived in heaven? When the Lord Jesus arrived there, we're told war broke out there in heaven. So the, the angels were certainly active when he arrived there on that day. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, Satan, and his angels. So the moment Christ arrived there, there was war in heaven. Apparently, Satan had access to heaven at that time yet. And we also know that from the book of Job, where he appeared before God and challenged God concerning Job. In the Old Testament, Satan was constantly accusing the believers before God's throne. Think here of, also of Zechariah 3, where the prophet saw vision, this vision of Satan accusing Joshua the high priest before God, and, and in Joshua the people of God then. In Joshua, he was accusing the whole nation of Israel before God because of their sins. He wanted God to destroy that people because of their sins. He wanted no forgiveness for them. And see, that's why he's called the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12. But then Christ arrived in heaven. With his blood, he obtained the complete forgiveness of all the sins of, the, of his people. And there he appeared before God's throne as the Savior in the Holy of Holies in heaven with the blood of his once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of his own, we could say, with the letter to the Hebrews. And the armies of mighty angels, the, the angelic hosts, who had appeared to the shepherds at Christ's birth and had disappeared into heaven again, they had been waiting there for that moment when Christ arrived in heaven and immediately they engaged in war with Satan and his angels. The thing is, Satan did not have a leg to stand on in heaven anymore, to accuse the brothers anymore. But he doesn't give up his space easily. He had to be expelled forcibly from there. He lost the right to say anything to God anymore. He and his angels were thrown out of heaven. No place for them there anymore now that the glorified Savior was there. So that's what happened in heaven when the Lord Jesus arrived there. Because of his work, because of his name, because of his glory, there's no longer any room for Satan and his angels in heaven because the Lord Jesus went there after he finished the work the Father gave him to do here, namely give him his life for his people, heaven 
is liberated and cleansed territory of the kingdom of God. That area of the kingdom is already cleansed. That province, we could say. And Jesus is enthroned in victory at God's right hand until the last day when all his enemies will be completely put under his feet. Then we come to the second point, what Christ's ascension means for us. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Christ's ascension into heaven means that the battle is over in heaven. But there is no peace on earth yet. Here, we're still in the middle of a war, a battle. Because look again at Revelation 12. It says in verse 9 that when Satan and his angels were defeated and cast out of heaven, they were cast to the earth. And it says at the end of that section we read together in verse 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. That's the reality for us after Christ's ascension. For us today, heaven can rejoice, but woe to the earth. For Satan and his hosts have been cast down here. And that's why the Apostle Peter also warns 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, he says to the church there. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He knows his time is short, his time is limited here. And the Apostle Paul warns 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan can even disguise himself as an angel of light. In other words, you can't be naive. He can set himself up as, as the very picture of righteousness. But you need to be extremely watchful for him then. And in Ephesians 6, the apostle warns us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do we realize how much we need to be on guard against Satan and his dominion congregation? He's been cast down here on the earth. He knows his time is short, getting shorter all the time. We have to put on the armor of God, especially the confession of the truth, especially the confession that Christ has ascended into heaven for our good. As he said himself, John 16, verse 7, it's to our advantage that he went away to heaven. The thing is, if he wasn't there, if he wasn't seated on the throne there, we'd be defeated here before the battle even started. For what can we accomplish without his strength, the strength of his spirit and his intercession here? Yes, Jesus Christ knows it's not easy here on earth. He was here. And he knows it's not easy for us after his ascension. Because Satan has been cast down here. And think of the last words he spoke in John 16. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Another translation has, in the world you will have affliction. And another translation yet says, fears 
So what the Lord Jesus is saying is that all, all our, in all our, that all our struggles, the things we, we can't seem to get through, the things that we have such a hard time dealing with, they're part and parcel of life in this world for believers. In this world, you will have tribulation, affliction, fears. Jesus doesn't say that there aren't going to be any here, that, there's, that Christians shouldn't have fears and frustrations. No, he says they will be here and they will continue to come. He doesn't reason those things away. No, he says in that same verse, verse 33, but he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. That world in which we live here, in which we have tribulations and fears. He went to the Father and sat on the throne in heaven. And there he intercedes for us here, down here, for us here before the Father. And an example of how he intercedes for us is his high priestly prayer, John 17. Gives us a foretaste of what he's doing in heaven for us. We read the first part of that prayer. But it'd be good if you read that whole prayer later on at home and meditated on it. You'll notice, for one thing, that Jesus prays in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Those who love Christ can know that he prays that for them every single day. When they wake up, and go about their lives that day and go to sleep, he prays that for them. Not that you should take them out of the world, Father, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And notice, too, that the Lord Jesus prays, John 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. And that's also what the Lord Jesus prays for us now in heaven. So if you know yourself as one of God's elect in Christ, then you know that everything in your life is given by God to lead you to behold in time the glory of Christ when you depart from this world. And see, that's the goal of Christ's ascension. He, he didn't ascend into heaven for himself. It wasn't kind of escape from him to a better place. No, he went there to work for us from there, to work for us here on earth from heaven. And yes, his going means he's separated from us now. We can't see him. But he went away with a promise. He promised that that separation would come to an end when the time is right. He went away to prepare a place for us in heaven, he says to the disciples in John 14. He prepares a place for us with him in glory by interceding for us there. He pleads that the things that happen in our lives work in such a way that we grow in our faith and love and dependence on him. And he pleads before the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And he does that on the basis of his work of atonement on the cross. In fact, he still bears the marks of that work and work on the cross in his body there in heaven. The marks of the nail and the spear when the disciples saw the Lord Jesus after his resurrection, he still had the marks in his body. And when he ascended into heaven with his arms outstretched, those marks are still there. Those marks show what he did for us. He took on that mortal human body to work salvation for us from sin, which is the cancer of all, the cause of all evil. And, and by, the, by means of the sacrifice of, of that body of his, he reconciled us to God. And that's how he ascended into heaven then too, as God, also as true man, as one of us. And that's why we confess in Lord's Day 18, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Jesus' ascension means that he brings God and his people back together again. By means of his ascension, Christ made a bridge between heaven and earth. A bridge. And there's access to heaven then for all who believe, who acknowledge Christ as their head. And when we speak of Jesus as head, you always have to think of the church. Jesus is head of his church, which is his body. And brothers and sisters, where the head goes, the body also goes, right? That's the comfort of Christ's ascension for us. In the world, we have trouble and affliction, fear, frustration, Christ says. And that's the way it's going to be for now. Be of good cheer. Be comforted. Stay positive for I have overcome the world. I've opened a bridge to heaven to my glory for you. There's a door open for you. I know there are Christians who say you should never be afraid because Christ has said he has overcome. He's the victor. It's not what the Lord Jesus said, though. Christ himself said differently. He, he knows the world. He knows what it's like to be one of us. He knows Satan. And that's why, why he said, I know that in the world you will have tribulations and fears, but be of good cheer, be of good courage in the middle of your, your tribulations. I have overcome the world, and so you will too. See, for, for believers, fear and comfort will always keep alternating in this life. The one will never replace the other completely. Fear will never eliminate our comfort. And comfort in Christ makes us able to get through the fear, but it will never completely take away our fear. And that's why, congregation, it's a wonderful thing that we can not only say that Christ has something of ours in heaven as pledge that he'll take us to himself, our flesh. We also here have something of him as counter-pledge, namely his spirit. He has something of ours there in heaven, our flesh. We have something of him here, his spirit. He sends his spirit into our hearts so that we love him and want to be with him. 
and follow him. Lord's Day 18 calls that seeking the things that are above, where Christ is. See, from, from heaven, he sends his spirit into our hearts through his word. And his spirit changes us more and more from people whose main goal in life is earthly things, such as possessions and careers and so on, to people whose lives center around serving and loving the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking his honor. And that's a wonderful way to live here in this world then, with an ascended Lord. It's not going to take away all our troubles and fears to know he, he reigns. But it does comfort in all those troubles and fears. For the Spirit uses those tribulations to prepare us for the place our Savior has prepared for us in his Father's house so that we match the place he prepares for us. We see how our ascended Lord blesses us in everything in this world then, with his hands stretched out in blessing, like that, that statute in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we'll see that. Amen. Let's sing in response, hymn 40, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.